Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today, brought to you by Sun City West Christian Church. I'm uh, your moderator and facilitator. My name is Kai Repsholt. We are studying the book of Acts, which uh, I have subtitled The Spreading of the Gospel. We are in part 31 this time. And uh, we will be looking in Acts 23, starting with verse 12. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we appreciate this opportunity to share truth. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is involved because part of his ministry is to bring us into all the truth and to remind us of everything that you have taught us. And we welcome that ministry. Help us to pay attention with sensitive hearts and recognize where the Holy Spirit wants to apply the truth in how we live. Amen. So last time... Paul, at the very end of our discussion last time, Paul had a, had a, a, a personal visit from the Lord who stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So that was in verse 11 of Acts chapter 23. Continuing on, it says, When... It was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you... And the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes here near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks where Paul was being held and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So the centurion took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and stepping aside began to inquire of him privately, What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them, for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him, who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander Let the young men go, instructing him, Tell no one that you have notified me of these things. So we have over 40 Jews bind themselves with an oath 
and it's a serious oath. And the Mosaic law allowed for oaths and vows. Um, and so this, although this had a, a bad motive and a wrong and a wrong objective, the binding of yourself by an oath was part of the Mosaic law, and there were procedures for that. Now Paul's nephew hears of the plot, and he tells Paul. And Paul sends the nephew to the commander of the garrison. Note, though, that Paul does not presume on God's commitment to him to get to Rome. I mean, I start out with a review today of the specific promise that God made to Paul in person, in his presence. The Messiah came and stood in next to Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. But Paul does not presume on that promise. So let's talk about a little bit about the difference between faith and presumption. This is a very important biblical concept for a mature Christian to understand and apply in their own life. And we have an example in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. This is a part of the interaction between Satan and Jesus when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness before his uh, active ministry began. And Jesus sets us a very excellent example during this period. Verses 5 through 7 of Matthew chapter 4 is the temptation to go to where Satan takes Jesus to the highest pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down. For it is written that he will prevent you from harm lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus' response to that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, do not put God to the test. So that means don't engage in behavior that tests God's promise. Now, if Jesus is walking around along the road and he's talking with his disciples and he's looking at them while he's walking and there's a there's a stone in the way or a discontinuity in the road and he stumbles, trips, he didn't put himself intentionally in that hazard and God's promise would have been fulfilled. He wouldn't have fallen. God would have prevented it. But it's a wholly different thing to intentionally put his body at risk forcing God to intervene in a supernatural way to fulfill his promise. And that's wrong. And Jesus knows it's wrong, and he tells Satan it's wrong. Paul follows Jesus' example here. He knows of the promise, he knows of the plot. 
does he say, well, I'm going to go right along and not say anything, and we'll go right there, and God will have to supernaturally pr protect me from these 40 people? No, he doesn't do that. He allows the providential care of God through the commander of the garrison to take appropriate action to protect him instead of forcing God to supernaturally do something. So he's not putting God to the test. But he's still walking by faith. Okay. He's trusting God, but he's not insisting that and forcing God into a corner where God has to do something supernaturally to protect him. That's the principle, the difference between faith and presumption. And we need to walk in faith and to avoid presuming on God's promises. Continuing on with verse 23. So what does the commander do? Well, that's what he does. And the commander called him two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter having this form. Claudius Lysaeus to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I send him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with them, they returned to the barracks. When, when these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When he had read it, he asked from what province he was, and when he learned that he was from, from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So the commander moves Paul to the governor's seat in the city of Caesarea, which is on the coast, under heavy guard. Okay. So 200 spearmen, which would be infantrymen, and 70 cavalry or horsemen. That's a sizable bodyguard. Lysias was not taking any chances with Paul's safety. And why is that? Well, because Paul is a Roman citizen. Lysias refers to that in his letter 
to the governor, but he kind of he kind of manipulates the truth a little bit because he implies in the letter that he rescued Paul because he learned he was a Roman. Nah, he didn't learn he was a Roman until after he rescued him. So he's he's giving a reason for interfering with what was going on, uh, even though it's true that Paul was a Roman and he should have, if he had known in advance that he was a Roman, done exactly like he did. But he did it knowing not knowing that, which in my mind means he's more interested in justice than he is in in uh, than being politically sensitive. But to put the best face on it to the governor, he brings out that he puts the knowledge of Paul being a Roman citizen before the fact that he interfered with what the Jews were doing. So they go at night. The third hour of the night is 9 p.m. So they leave at 9 p.m. They probably go the whole night. Uh, they have to rest the horses for a while, not as well as the troops. Now, they weren't galloping because the troops could only... Go, but Roman troops could move pretty fast. Um, <clears throat> they were very they were very famous for marching at a at a good clip and so if they if they marched the whole night they, they got to this place antipostris and uh they took a break probably ate had a little rest then the horses once rested could then press on to caesarea and and the centurions commanding the 200 infantry retraced their steps back to Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't just to get back to their barracks. No, they retraced their steps as Lysias, I'm sure, instructed the centurions to make sure that these 40 Jews who had bound themselves with an oath were not following them along the road. Because Lysias wanted Paul in the governor's hands without interference. And in fact, Paul gets to the governor. And they, the horseman, the commander of the horseman, delivers the explanatory letter. And Paul is put into protective custody by the governor in Herod's palace. Now, couple things to note. The, the word in the scriptures is praetorium, which is a Roman term for a official residence of a, of a, of a ruling person. Um, so that would be like the White House or the governor's mansion in our culture. Um, so this was a palace. This wasn't, this wasn't uh, just a simple house. And he was he was under house arrest, uh, but it was protective custody at this point. He was not in prison. Uh, Herod was not in residence; he was somewhere else. Herod had a couple of residences. He had one in Caesarea, so he could be near the governor's seat. He had one in Jerusalem, and he had one uh, somewhere in Galilee. Uh, and he would move around. 
He currently wasn't in Caesarea. And the other thing you need to know, that don't get confused, this Herod is not Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is dead by this time. This is his half-brother, Herod Agrippa. And the governor tells Paul that he will have a hearing, uh, which means that Paul will be heard as well as his accusers whenever they get there. And uh, and the governor says he's going to wait for these others, the Jews, to arrive. Um, and I always wonder myself, it doesn't say here what happened to those 40-plus people who put themselves under an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't die of starvation, or actually you would die of thirst first. Um, there was a way within the Mosaic Law to be relieved of a vow. It was expensive. My guess is once it was discovered that that Paul had been removed from their ability to kill him, that they went through the process of having the vow erased. And there is a process for that in, in the Old Testament law. But it was expensive. There was a there was a sacrifice involved, so they had to pay for the animals. And that's what I think happened to the man who made that vow. Uh, just an example, Jesus said you shouldn't make vows, just say yes and no. <laughs> This is a good example of, a, of, of why that would be so. So Paul allowed God to providentially work, didn't insist on a supernatural event, and Paul is delivered safely to the governors. So, starting with chapter 24... After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders, with an attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained such much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you with any, firth, any, you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple. And when we arrested him, we wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack. saying that these things were so. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, knowing that for many years you have 
been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God that these men cherish themselves, that there, sh that there shall be certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified, without any crowd or uproar. <coughs> but there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you to make accusation if they should have anything against me. Or else, let these men themselves tell you what misdeed they found when I stood before the council other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them for the resurrection of the dead I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. So, the high priest, who was currently Ananias, not Caiaphas or Annas, who were high priests around the time that Jesus was crucified, comes with a lawyer and some elders after five days. My guess is the delay was caused to get the lawyer up to speed on how they wanted the case presented. Uh, and the lawyer argues their case. And he's a trained orator. You can tell by how he starts out, which is part of the Roman culture. So he was probably a lawyer who could represent people in a Roman court. And they make accusations. At least the lawyer does. Paul is a pest. Paul stirs up dissension. Paul is a leader of the Nazarene sect. Paul attempted to desecrate the temple. Lysias interfered with violence. Okay. Well, I suppose in their minds, Paul is a pest because he doesn't do what they want. Paul does not stir up dissension. So that's not true. Usually it's the Jews who stir up the dissension after Paul has been someplace for a while and people are becoming followers of Jesus. It's true that he's a leader of the Nazarene sect, but it's a blatant lie that they make that says he attempted to desecrate the temple. And it's also a blatant lie that Lysias interfered with violence. Lysias did not violently do anything. He came in with overwhelming force to prevent violence 
and he took Paul out of their hands, but in the account of Lysias' rescue of Paul, there is no violence on the part of Lysias, the commander. Now, Paul's response to these accusations is measured. Now, remember, Paul also is trained as a lawyer. But in his response, we have to call to mind what Jesus made a promise to his disciples, saying, when you're brought into these situations, the Holy Spirit is going to provide you the words to say. And so Paul responds. He says, yeah, I I was openly in Jerusalem, um, but the whole time I was there, I had no discussions or dissensions. There were no riots. I was calm. I was peaceful. I was doing my business. I came to bring alms and to worship in the temple after I satisfied the ritual purification requirements following the law of Moses. Oh, by the way, my accusers have no proof of any of their accusations. And then Jews from Asia... Now, Paul had established several churches in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he read a lot, met a lot of resistance from the Jews that were in those communities. They tried a number of times during his ministry there to, to kill him. These Jews from Asia, who still have this unreasoning hatred for Paul, caused the riot. And Paul says, you know, these guys should be here as the primary accusers since they're the ones that caused the riot. And he says the issue, the the bottom line issue of all this turbulence is the resurrection. And Paul is referring to the resurrection of Jesus, which is the promise symbolic promise of our future resurrection. And the governor hears both sides and he is familiar with Christianity. And so he decides to delay a decision. And his excuse is that Lysias needs to be present because he has testimony to give. We'll find out the next time we meet what his deeper motivations are um, for the delay. That's all we have time for today. I thank you for being with us. If you are present in Phoenix, Arizona area, either visiting or living, and would like to participate in the second half of this uh, lesson, which is a discussion and question and answer period that is not broadcast. Uh, You're certainly welcome to join us uh, at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning at Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona. God bless you all.